The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ready, set. Spartan Race is back for 2018 and we're accepting no excuses. Barbed wire crawls, tire drags, spear throws and much more. Whatever your ability, you'll discover the right challenge for you. Take on our 5 to 25 kilometre events designed to push you to limits you never knew you could overcome. Complete an obstacle course race and let adventure back into your life. Are you ready to unleash your inner Spartan warrior? Visit spartanrace.uk. Hello and welcome to the Rapture's Rapture podcast. Uh, I am Mike Bassetti, joined by co-expert Brian Boak here to discuss the Raptors' latest week of action. Um, how you doing today, Brian? I'm How are you? Not too bad. All right. Um, let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, let's start first off with the biggest game the Raptors' season, I would say, to this point. Uh, the game against the Boston Celtics. Brian, um, besides obviously being thrilled with the results, what were your main takeaways from the Boston game? Uh, I think Boston's problem. I don't know if you recognize that or not. I don't think they're big enough as they're currently constantly get bullied from what I could see. So uh, when, when we went big and stayed big, they didn't really have any anything that could counter that. As a, you know, Aaron Baines is not Jonas Valanciunas. Um, Al Horford had a terrible game, which is un- unusual for him, so I wouldn't read too much into that. It's just one of those nights. But even so, um, they were not able to, to cope with the Raptors uh, up front and started owning, owning the boards and uh, hitting our shots. They had no, uh, no second gear, and we were able to take control of the game early and roll home. I mean, the score flattered them, being uh, down 20 at the end. Yeah, a 30 point game for most of them. Yeah, I did the post game for that, and I wrote about it. That 20 point lead is the closest it ever was during the fourth quarter. So that was, it really wasn't even within 20 the entire time. So it was really, the fourth quarter was basically just garbage time where we controlled the game and had a lot of scrubs, not scrubs, sorry, had a lot of bench players playing during that game. So it was really telling, kind of, that that fourth quarter we didn't even really – we didn't have any urgency. So, yeah, the score was 20, but it really should have been a 30 point game. Yeah, they, they, they surrendered relatively early. So it was uh, – that's the second statement game so far in the last, what, month or so, the first one being the Cleveland game when, when the Raptors destroyed Cleveland. So you really have to wonder how much proof is needed about uh, the Raptors being a legitimate contender. Right, and now 
the Raptors take over first place in the standings, which is obviously a big deal. Um, Brian, do you how important do you think that first place standings is? Do would you keep that at all costs? Would you um, not worry about it as much as you try to rest starters down the uh, down the home stretch here? How important is that first overall standings to you? Well, I'll tell you, that's a very delicate balance. With a team as strong as the Raptors have been at the Air Canada Centre, you cannot discount the importance of, of home floor advantage if possible to have it throughout the playoffs. So that would be very important in terms of my considerations as to what to do. Of course, if you've got um, players who are clearly tired, particularly key players, then you, you may want to modify your perspective uh, in game 79 or 81 or something like that. But I, if I were Dwayne Casey, I would be extremely interested in retaining that. I mean, they're 23 and four at home and nobody can touch that. So I really, I really would like to keep the one seed if possible. Yeah, I agree. Um, we move forward. It would be helpful if you only have to play either one of Cleveland and Boston and maybe Cleveland never ends up getting that third seed, but it would be helpful if they do to kind of be at the one spot waiting the winner of that matchup as opposed to having to play them back to back. I think in the East, there's three real contenders being Boston, Cleveland, and Toronto. And if I was, if I was the Raptors, I would do probably as much as possible to stay on the opposite side of the bracket, if at all possible, of the two teams. So you play a team that has just went through a grind of a series and you're waiting fresh on the other side. Yes, and I will take teams five and six and possibly even seven are not going to be pushovers in the first round for anybody. So right. don't take, for example, the Miami Heat for granted if you're, if you're Cleveland. I, I'm, I'm assuming Cleveland's going to get to an, or retain an admirable spot in the standings, and that may be a long assumption because they, they in effect, have to go through a second training camp now. They've got so many new faces. So many new faces. One way to look at the other way to look at, of course, is that they shipped out so many old ones. So they've got themselves an interesting issue to cope with two-thirds of the way through the season. So it's going to be a very, very final, a very interesting final couple of uh, months in the NBA season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, to kind of talk about what you said a little bit there, as far as the East, this is the strongest the East has ever been. As far as not maybe ever, but in the in recent history, as far as you have a, a couple teams, the nine seed of the East will be a pretty decent team. Right now it's a Detroit Pistons. Perhaps as they continue to play well with Blake Griffin, it turns into a Philadelphia 76ers or someone like that. But for the first time, I can really remember the East nine spot is something that isn't, instead of having a bunch of teams that you're like, oh, I guess they get into the playoffs, you're going to have somebody that gets left out that sh that maybe shouldn't. Um, and this is by far the deepest the East has ever been. There's maybe only three real contenders. But as far as teams four through nine, I think those are real quality teams that you have to be worried about. Absolutely, and, and I'm here to tell you that there will be at least one upset in the East in the first round. It won't be this cut and dried teams one, one through four will roll through. It will, I, I'm, I'm going on record as saying that right now. There might be two upsets. Wouldn't be at all surprising. I mean, if by some miracle Philadelphia 
does hold on to the eight spot, they're not going to be uh, an easy out. No, one example. So I'm agreeing with you. There's, there's, a, there's far more quality teams in the East than there have been probably in the last decade. Yeah, Philadelphia is someone who's particularly interesting because Joel Embiid gets to play every single game, and they haven't been that good when he's been out. But when they when he's played, they've been a real a real tough opponent. And if you have to go and face two seven footers and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons every night, that's a that's a tough series, especially coming in probably the seven or eight spot for them. Um, I'm looking at the standings right now. It appears right now the Bucks are the five seed, the Pacers are the six, the Heat are the seventh, 76ers the eight, and the Pistons at the nine. But they are all within three and a half games of each other, the Pistons through the Bucks. Um, man, you, there's a couple teams in there that I really would not want to face in the first round. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there, how that shakes out, um, who's left where at the end of the standings. Well, I mean, Washington has three problems now because their backup point guard went down last night. I saw a, that. Uh, a whack on the head. He was hit with a flagrant foul by Bobby Portis. And so he, he this is Thomas Sadarensky, is now in the concussion protocol. So who the hell knows when he's going to come back? And John Wall's already out. So Washington is going to be pitching and bailing and trying to plug the leaks as best they can over the next little while. So no fault of their own, they may be due for a, for a drop. And they don't have. There's nowhere for them to drop because, as you say, it's all so tight in there. They they've got the same number of losses as the Milwaukee Bucks in the five spot. The only reason they're ahead of Milwaukee is they have one more win. Right. So it's it's nasty out there at the bottom of the standings. Right. And I, Washington, someone to me, I don't think you want to face in the first round if you're a team. The Wizards have played well in the postseason, and I mean, whenever you have a backcourt of John Wall and Bradley Beal, those are two elite players and they can turn it on at any time. That's someone, if they are the seven seed, if I don't think you want to face them in the first round. No, they, they left off to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fine with me. It's, while we're talking about it, if you had your choice of Eastern Conference opponents, who would you like to see in the first round? Team realistic scenario for the Raptors first round. Oh, I think the Raptors are deeper than Philadelphia. Be quite happy to go with them. Okay. You know, I mean, Embiid's a wonderful player, and Simmons. I'm not quite as sold on him yet, but he's he's. A, I think he's going to be quite a player in a few, in a few seasons. I don't think he can't shoot, and point guards who can't shoot have a short shelf life. But regardless, he he can do a lot a lot of those things extremely well. So they'll find a home for him. But I, I, in terms of second unit versus our second unit versus their second unit, I think we blow them away. Right. I. I don't disagree with you there. Uh, I'd love personally to see a Pacers matchup. Um, the Pacers don't have, I mean, Victor Oladipo is playing better and they play well as a team, but they don't have kind of the individual star players that worry me as a matchup against the Raptors. But personally, they'd be a team that I'd like to see. Um, but as we move forward, uh, kind of talking about the Raptors, how they've been playing, they've won four in a row. Tonight they face a, or today, I'm sorry, they face a Charlotte Hornets team that has lost three in a row. Um, do you kind of want to just touch on how well the Raptors have been playing of late and what do you think has kind of been the driving force behind that? Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of positive things for the team lately. They, they came out against the Knicks like they were sleepwalking and uh, 
and, and yet what, what they got from the second unit was exactly what was needed, which was a built of energy that they hadn't shown from the first unit. So knowing that there are that the team can go as deep as it can go is a real comfort for me because he, I mean they can go 12 deep. It's not like you're, you're somehow giving up if you put Norman Powell or Baby Naguera on the floor. So, and, and, and the second unit does provide that, that jolt, that wake-up call that the starters can say, well, maybe we shouldn't be just out there playing like we're, uh, like we're bored. So that, the Knicks win was a particular example of that, where they just smoked their opposite number when they needed to and, and, and gave the starters a, an easy, easy way to sit down. So, if, if the second unit can continue to do what it's doing, it's, there's really no reason to think we're going to fall into a long slump. You know, I've been doing power ranking in the comment. Poor old Golden State, they've lost two games in a row this past week for the first time this season. You know, woe is them. A nice problem to have. Uh, but we've only, the Raptors have only lost two games in a row. That's, that's been the maximum losing streak for the team so far, and that's what balance will do. You just don't, are not likely to fall into serious long-term uh, slumps, which can be so depressing and debilitating, and force you to start um, doing unnatural things and, and getting on each other's cases and so on. So it's it's really been very encouraging all the way around. Right. Um, I had a stat in uh, my weekly takeaways. This over the past week, the bench has played 74 minutes and has is plus 86 during that time. So they're outscoring a teams by one point per minute. Basically, if the bench, if we were to keep up the pace of what the bench was doing, we would out, be outscoring opponents by 55 per game. I mean, when the bench is playing like that, there's just – it doesn't matter if you come out in the lull almost. that The, the bench is going to pick you up. And this bench unit led by Van Vliet and Podol and Siakam, they play so well together – and they play with so much energy that they are just blowing the door off, blowing the doors off opponents. Really helpful to the Raptors, and I think really that the Raptors have almost, if you're the Raptors right now, you can almost kind of play even with teams as your starters and then wait till that bench unit comes in, and that's kind of when you take off. Yes, and I even like the bench unit to be opponent starters too because I think that, that they run so well that uh, it, it's it's a shock to the system, even for say Cleveland starters, whoever they might be, once they get themselves reorganized. The, our our second unit guys really move uh, instead of playing playing at a static pace, and no nobody likes that kind of thing. But you know, some teams do it because they're trying to play, you know, yin yin to the our yang, and or, or vice versa. And so to see them out there running all the time and see Pascal Siakam leading the charge like the ex-soccer player he is is, is uh, really a pleasure. And Jakob Pertl is a shot-blocking beast. It's really remarkable. It projects, uh, you know, he'll be, he'll be a competing shot-blocker in the league if he keeps going. Yeah, he's been great. Um, I asked this question on Twitter to a couple of people. Um, Brian, who is your favorite not the best, not the best player, but who's your personal favorite Raptors bench player? And what of the young guys do you enjoy the most? Wow, interesting question. I guess I'd have to say Fred because he's come from so far off the pace, as we say in the horse racing world. You know, he's just come from undrafted land in Iowa State, and uh, he just kept on moving up. They couldn't keep him down. He was in, in the G League, and then he's, he's at the end of the bench, and then he's playing garbage time, and 
Now he's a virtual starter. He's getting so many. My guy. He, he's just coming from out of nowhere. It's wonderful to see. Yeah. And Austin, and he's going to get a big, big payday because of it. So congratulations to him. Uh, personally, I'm a Pascal Siakam sucker. I The way he's grown <laughs> during his time, the Raptors has really impressed me. I mean, you talk when he first came, he, he had some skill sets, but he really was kind of an energy guy, uh, defense, run around uh, when he was kind of starting for that little stretch here. Now he's become this guy who he gets the rebound and is running the break. He looks like Draymond Green out there kind of running this point forward. It, his ball handling improvement has just amazed me. Um, he's still letting it fly from deep. He's not really connecting on those shots, but as that jumper starts to come, I think that he's, I think he has the potential maybe to be the best out of that group. Well, there's a lot to be said for that. What's happened with him from year one to year two is that in year one, he was useful as a player without the ball. Now he's useful as a player without the ball and with it. So that's a huge step forward. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Brian, as we talked about last podcast, we talked about potential moves that the Raptors would make. And me and you correctly said that the Raptors would be pretty quiet around the deadline. Um, I mentioned them possibly trading Bruno in order to free up some room for a buyout candidate, which they did, uh, sending him over to Sacramento for Malachi Richardson. Um, With the Raptors being quiet, uh, how do you feel about the Raptors not making any major moves? Perfectly happy with it. Who would you send away? Right. I I don't think there was an obvious move. This is, this is the whole team is just playing too well to um, to unsettle things. I mean, it, you can you can take a step back by trying to take a step forward. And I think I think Masai did exactly the right thing. Let let this team continue to grow as a group. I agree. You don't want to trade. You don't want to trade any of these young guys, seeing as they might, seeing what they might turn into, and you don't want to trade any of the guys that you would trade as far as major set uh, contracts they're contributing to your team. So you're kind of, any move you make, you're hamstringing yourself um, as far as you're taking a rotation player out. And, I mean, at that point, are you really helping yourself if you're taking a major player? It's great to not have any bad contracts. But when you don't have any bad contracts, it's kind of hard to make a move. So I thought it was good by Masai showing patience. And any moves that this team is going to make, as far as the future, it's going to at least wait until this offseason to do so. Yeah, so they, they will be more salary-oriented, which is what you were talking about with Bruno. That was just more like, you know, <laughs> cleaning up something at the at the end of the bench where you can save a million bucks, which is not much. But clear, obviously Bruno had come to everybody's patience with him here, and, and whatever message the Raptors were trying to get across to him wasn't being received, so it's time for somebody else's voice to get into his head and maybe turn him into a player. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah. We'll see with him wearing our colors. I I don't understand that trade for the Kings. I don't know what they particularly got out of that. They took on some incoming salary for really no reason. Um, Then they went ahead and cut one of the players that they drafted just in the lottery a couple years ago. I guess the Kings being a dumpster fire is nothing new, but it just seemed like (laughs) it seemed like an odd move to me, and I was amazed that the Raptors were able to save that million dollars without giving up at least a second-round pick. So, yes. 
Congrats to Masai, yes. It's really hard to imagine what is going on down there in the executive offices. I mean, they, they just they cannot get out of their own way in terms of all the first-round draft picks they've had. Yet. Here they are again, rebuild number, I don't know, 12, whatever it is. It's, it's, just, it's quite sad. And the same thing's happening in Orlando. Orlando dumped Alfred Payton for a second-round draft pick. Right, and now yeah. they're going to have to rebuild. You know, he was a number 10 pick. They thought the world of him. I don't know why. Or the first time I saw him, I said, this guy is not fast enough to keep up. The NBA is attracted to these guys. This guy, if he's a point guard, has got to be the fastest guy on the floor. He's nowhere near. So I wasn't surprised to see him uh, fall down in the estimation of people all around the league. Yeah, uh, they gave up the pick that turned into Dario Saric, who's been a good player, as well as another first-rounder to go up and get Alfred Payton. So, I mean, you're talking about two real assets that you gave away in order to get Alfred Payton, who can't stay on the court, and the team was considerably better when he did not play for the Magic. So that was interesting, to say the least. Uh, Brian, with the trade deadline happening, coming and going, the Raptors clearing up a little space, and Pierce are going to try to go after the buyout buyout candidate or two. Um, I wrote a piece regarding possible buyout candidates for the Raptors. Two have already committed to deals with other teams, being Joe Johnson with the Rockets and Marco Bellinelli with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, with, tho- with those two gone and, uh, you know, with those two gone and seeing as Vince Carter probably, it looks like he might not be bought out by the Sacramento Kings. Um, Say Vince Carter is not available. Who would you like the Raptors to target in that case? Well, or I guess I'll start with, do you want them to target Vince Carter? Um, if he comes available, and if not, who would you like them to target? Well, that's a nice cue for me to point out. I uh, actually wrote about this, and this, uh, my comments on Vince Carter are on the record on our website at raptorsrapture.com. Um, but I will briefly say that the conclusion of that piece is that, no, I don't think Vince Carter come to Toronto, solves any problems for us at all, and might create problems as to when and where he's going to play and what's uh, Dwayne Casey going to do with the guy. So I'm saying stay away from Vince, unless there's an injury or something. But, of course, that applies to anybody that you, that you want to get from the buyout market, unless, unless we're injured. What's the point? Um, now, in terms of guys that I would like, I'm going to contradict myself here a little bit and say, okay, maybe, maybe there's some buyout candidates who are – uh, further down the list of possibilities, but Channing Fry has been talked about as somebody that the Lakers will buy out now that he's come over from Cleveland. He would be an interesting guy to be able to toss on the floor as, as a stretch five on occasion. Maybe get a bucket or two when you most needed it in the playoffs. Um, I've always liked Brooke Lopez. I don't know how, how badly we want a, a true center like him, but he can also hit the, hit the three and has a more well-rounded game than Channing Fry. So he certainly would be worthy of a conversation. Um, there's also, of all people, Boris Diaw, who apparently has a clause in his contract with the EuroLeague team that the NBA calls, he can, he can move to an NBA team. Uh, I don't know how crazy I am about that idea, but it's out there. And finally, God help us, Derek Rose, you know, an injury wrecked shell of his former MVP self. Pretty sad to see. Oh, my goodness, I don't want Derek Rose. I... We already have three point guards on the roster. Yeah. I don't know if we need to add one who hasn't been good in multiple years. Um, and has kind of been, he's been a real locker room presence. It, he hasn't been someone you want in your locker room 
And if you're not it's not clear that he's going to get playing time, I don't know why you want to take on that personality in, or, in order to maybe not get anything on the court. So I hope we stay as far away from Derrick Rose as possible. It looks like the Timberwolves are going to go after Derrick Rose, which is mind-baffling to me as far as you have Tyus Jones, who's played well in that backup point guard role. And I don't know why Tibbs wants to bring in a guy who just hasn't played well, but, you know, it is. Oh, it's another Chicago throw. Yeah. I I agree. I think it's it's foolish. It makes more sense as a place where they desperately need some help with the point position, as I already mentioned. So I could see that making more sense. Anyway, just just so we're clear, I'm I'm not – I would be perfectly happy if we didn't bring in anybody. If we are going to bring in somebody – should Channing Fry be available, he'd be the top of my list. Right. I think anyone we bring in, I'd like to – the Raptors aren't really desperate for shooting, but I would say they could use an inject of shooting. It wouldn't hurt us to kind of get somebody who can shoot the three a little bit, provide a little uh, shooting if your team ever gets stagnant later in the playoffs. So anyone we get, I'd like to see them with that kind of in mind. Um, moving towards somebody who can shoot the three a little bit. Uh, like you said, Channing Fry, Brooke Lopez, those guys, I think shooting the three from the big men position is even more helpful. So I agree with you there. Um, I, the problem with buyout candidates are the two things they want more than anything are, one, to play on a contender, which the Raptors are, and two, to have guaranteed playing time. If you're a player – in the buyout market, there's perhaps a more clear path to playing time on other teams that are just as much contenders as the Raptors. So if I was a player, say I'm uh, shooting three, I'm not sure if I'm going to get into that backup unit with CJ Miles and everyone out there. Why not go ahead to Golden State where I know where the path to minutes is easier and they're no offense to Raptors fan, a more serious contender for the title. I, I just think that the Raptors are in a tough position of being, yes, they're a contender, but they're so deep that I'm not sure if a bio candidate really wants to come here. Oh yeah, I agree. Which is why I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time sweating the issue and getting all hot and bothered and saying, side, go get us somebody. First of all, there may not be anybody to get, because we're talking as if these guys are being bought up. There's no, there's no promise that any of them will be bought up now that Johnson and Bellinelli have come and gone. And they, they had obviously made up their mind where they wanted to go, so they weren't even on the market all the time. And that may happen with all these other cats as well. They either may stay where they are, or they, like you say, they may go somewhere where they're pretty well guaranteed of getting some playing time. You can't blame them for that. i do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, so coming up on the next week, the Raptors now, Brian, are in first place. We have a game with the Hornets that most people, by the time they listen to this pod, will be over. We have Miami and the Bulls, uh, two teams that are, well, Miami is a little bit above 500, and then the Bulls, who, while improving, are still not an elite team. It's realistic to see the Raptors heading into the All-Star break as first place in the Eastern Conference. So, kind of, what do you think about that, and how have your expectations for this season changed? My expectations have uh, turned more positive. You know, I, I had said at the beginning of the year, 48 wins would be about what I expected. 
clearly my sets my sites are higher than that now. My sites are in the 50s. Um, the incredible improvement in the second unit and the fact that nobody in the first unit has, has really made a kind of a step back. Um, and JV, I think, is a better player this year than he was last. Those are all the positive signs to me that indicate that, that this team has potential for, for the 50s in terms of wins without becoming burned out. And that's the other key thing, that our guys just aren't playing the minutes of some of the other teams that are, are only maybe going seven or eight or nine deep, which makes a huge difference. Um, you know, Miami, it's not wonderful, and they can all celebrate his return, but I still don't think they have uh, enough scoring to be a, a serious team. I think they defend very well, and they play hard. I will say that for them. They're very hard. They're well coached. Yes, Fulstra um, to me is a top coach. One of the one of the best coaches in the NBA for turning kind of the the group over Miami is a little bit like an island of misfit toys. They're all they all provide something, but they all have huge flaws in their game. And then I I don't know if they were somewhere else that they would be used like this. So, but they're right. They're used well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And uh, so he's he's maxing out what he's been what he's been dealt here in terms of the cards. So so good for him on that. Um, I, you know, they've got a kid who I think is going to be tremendous in about three years, and that's Bam Adebayo. Uh, and he's already, a, I think, a good player, even as a rookie. Whiteside is still there. Goran Dragic has been a pest for the Raptors season after season. So it's not like the, uh, the game against the Heat is somehow going to be a guaranteed win night. It's going to be tough. Um, we should be able to handle the Bulls. I'd be really dismayed if we couldn't take out the Bulls. They're, um, they're injury racked. They're they're young. There's just not not any kind of a good vibe around Chicago right about now. They've, they've really fallen off. It's too bad. It's what was expected, but it's still too bad. You know, I don't like to see this season. It's really not very very much fun. And I and I have empathy for their uh, the team's fans because we as, as Raptors have been through it. We're not like we're not all San Antonio where you can have two decades of, of winning teams. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yes, and the Raptors, I think it can't be stressed enough over coming or outperforming expectations heading into the All-Star break. Um, lastly, Brian, before we go, a little bit of non-Raptors news, although it does relate to them. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on perhaps the Raptors' biggest contender, the Cleveland Cavaliers, totally sent out half the roster to <laughs> different parts Brought in four new players, uh, Drew Clark, Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Hill, and Rodney Hood. Sending out Derek Rose, Jay Crowder, Amon Shumpert, uh, who else am I missing here? Isaiah Thomas, perhaps the biggest one, I guess, and Channing Frye. Uh, Brian, what do you think about the Cavs move and how that impacts it? Well, in terms of the moves themselves, what they had to do. The, the Cavs were old. They were playing abysmally. They had no interior defense of any kind and, and very little perimeter defense. So they were getting slaughtered points-wise. And there was absolutely no indication that any of that stuff was going to get fixed in the short or even the medium term. So they they clearly took a very hard look at, at the roster and said, we've got to get younger. We've got to get more athletic. And if we images this this year, well, that's what we have to do this because this lineup is, is going nowhere in a hurry. And so I, I give them credit for 
having the intestinal fortitude to, to make the moves that they made. I think they tr treated Dwayne Wade very well. I think that was an extremely smart move on their part to um, let him go and, and retain a reputation or, or rebuild their reputation as a player-friendly organization because it does them no good at all to be hang on to the guy when he doesn't want to be there. And uh, the kids that they brought in from Los Angeles, I think, are, are quite good. I don't. I, I, it's hard for me to envision, even with somebody like LeBron, how they can be a, a, a deep contender in the playoffs with so little time to prepare. They're preparing on the fly. That that's a little hard for me to understand. But if they can do it, wow! I take my hat off to them. For now, I don't know if they're as, as much of a contender as they were. Uh, certainly not at the beginning of the season. I think they're a more interesting team, but, but it's it's too late for them to try to rebuild on the fly like this next season and beyond. That's a different story. See, I'm going to go the opposite way. I think they become more of a threat now. Uh, that team that they had before, I just – that team did not worry me. I thought the Raptors could handle it they, how old they were. This new unit, perhaps they can't get it together, but it at least scares me more. If they do get it together, they can become – the ceiling on this team is much higher than the previous ceiling to me. And as the Raptors, it scares me a little bit if – they do get together and they do gel and within time. They have LeBron James. The Cavs are more frightening to me now than they were a week ago um, as far as just having more guys that they can run at you. And they have two more spots perhaps for buyout candidates. And I, to me, the ceiling of this team is much higher than it was previously. Fair enough. I mean, you know, that's a perfectly valid um, – perspective we're in uncharted territory here it's, i cannot remember a team being torn apart like this so late in any season almost in any sport oh i can Brian, you know what you're forgetting about the cleveland cavaliers that did it well last time lebron was there with ben wallace wally zerbiak delante west and joe smith i think this was they were, oh, they were the last team to do this <laughs> wally zerbiak they did this <laughs> They sent out six players and got four back at the deadline, I think, maybe the second to last year of having LeBron James. So it's funny that of all teams to do it, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers again to try to get LeBron to say. Well, hopefully it works out. I don't want to say good luck. Hopefully, but they're hoping it works out better than the Wally Zerbiak Ben Wallace combination. <laughs> oh, dear. No wonder I've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, ben yeah, I mean, Ben Wallace is. Terrific player, but Wally Zerbiak? Yeah. Well, at that time, Ben Wallace was not a terrific player. He was older, and Wally Zerbiak was perhaps the best player they got back in that deal. But, um, all right, very well. uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'll talk to you again in a week as we talk about kind of the Raptors and how it's going during the All-Star weekend. Sounds good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.